to Gavin Gray in London. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Crystal. So, Gavin, you start off with, I mean, a railway worker who admitted responsibility for the disaster that killed almost 60 people in Greece. He's appearing in court today, which is a Sunday. That's interesting. I guess it's the Greek court system. Well, it's uh, actually the result of uh, trying to appear in court yesterday, but there were some mass protests in the country over the collision, which killed 57 people on Tuesday. Uh, And so the uh, station master uh, is said to appear in court today. They have to shift it back 24 hours after it was uh, uh, impossible to hold the uh, court hearing yesterday. Um, Now, it's likely that he could face charges of negligent homicide, uh, and his lawyer says today probably is going to be the time uh, that he appears in court, we now think, and he could face life in jail if found guilty. But his lawyer is arguing that other factors were to play. So from Tuesday, what happened? Well, two trains collided. There was a passenger train and a freight train, and they were on the same track for several kilometers. It's now been revealed before crashing in Greece's worst ever train disaster. Many of those who were killed, uh, many of those on board were students uh, in their 20s returning from uh, a, uh, a weekend break. Um, and uh, so I'm afraid plenty of young people among those who had died in horrific scenes for Hellenic trains who are the operating company for the trains in Greece Uh, and many people are saying you know that that rail safety in Greece is terrible and there should be improvements there should have been improvements for many many years indeed uh, uh, some of the train operating workers have actually been on strike and they're saying successive administrations mismanagement of the network had contributed to this fatal collision it's reported but not confirmed that the station master had only just started working on the railways. He, too, apparently is quite a young man, had only been trained three months ago. Uh, and some are saying he is not the person that everyone should be blaming. But obviously he must feel absolutely devastated by what's happened. We'll see what uh, happens at this initial court hearing in a few hours, Crystal. Yes, absolutely, Gavin. I mean, I have taken a train in Athens, and I must say, compared to the rest of Europe, <laughs> it is a bit of a nervous um, kind of, you know, I, I was quite nervous, I won't lie. Right. But um, turning to something else now, we see that defense lawyers, they're considering an appeal for the pedestrian who shouted and waved her arm aggressively at a cyclist on a pavement, causing, of course, the cyclist to fall into the path of an un- oncoming car, and she was jailed for three years for manslaughter in the U.K., Yeah, many people think three years was uh, way too excessive. Um, Now, some security footage, CCTV footage, shows the 49-year-old woman shouting at the woman on the bicycle to get off the pavement in Huntingdonshire, Cambridgeshire, which is um, roughly uh, 100-odd kilometers north of London. Uh, The retired midwife, who was the cyclist, as I said, 77 um, uh, was so sort of shocked and put off by this uh, shouting, verbal abuse and arm-waving, aggressive uh, behavior from the pedestrian uh, that she quite simply lost control of the cycle and uh, went onto the road and was struck by an oncoming car. Now, the woman found guilty of uh, behaving badly, as it were, on the pavement has cerebral palsy, and she denied manslaughter but was found guilty after the trial and sentencing her the court heard that the uh, accident or her actions 
were not the result of her disability. Instead, the pavement was 2.4 meters wide. So in other words, it was easily a, uh, a path that could have been shared between a pedestrian and a cyclist. But uh, uh, I'm afraid that that's not what happened. And the, uh, the woman who's been in court um, uh, seemed to show no remorse, according to the judge. Uh, and the family of the victim have said their lives have been destroyed. And also, incidentally, the driver of the car, a young mother with a two-year-old daughter at the time, says her life has been turned upside down by what's happened. Witnesses to the incident said that the, uh, the uh, pedestrian, uh, the 49-year-old, seemed almost childlike uh, and lived in special accommodation. Um, and it does look like, as I said, her lawyers are going to appeal believing that the judge did not take on board her disability, did not take on board as well her mental capacity, um, and uh, uh, therefore I think we are likely to see this back in court over what many are saying is a very, very harsh sentence. Going to be quite a talking point, Gavin. Um, so, Gavin, to tell us about the senior UK civil servant Sue Gray, um, who investigated lockdown gatherings in Downing Street, has been offered a job as um, the opposition leader. Yes. So, it was one of the things which really brought down our former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The fact that he had knowingly, it would appear, held parties knowing that it was against the very laws that he had introduced during the coronavirus pandemic. In other words, Crystal, he had basically uh, gone, attended to parties, um, and uh, yet he was telling everyone else, you can't have gatherings in lockdown, you've got to stick to your family units, and at work you've got to stick to, you know, that two-metre um, space between you and a colleague. And certainly the CCTV, the constant drip of leaked photographs, did for the Prime Minister, along with a number of other factors. And so did this civil service report from an independent senior civil servant we were called, called Sue Gray. And she investigated these lockdown gatherings, and her report was pretty damning of what had gone on. Not just Boris Johnson, but others as well, including a fine that ended up uh, with the police investigation for Boris Johnson and the then-Chancellor, the now-Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Now, uh, all this time on, Sue Gray, as I said, uh, many saying very independent, very well-minded, has now taken a job with the leader of the opposition party. And her supporters are saying, well, you know, everyone has political views, but she did not bring that into play when she was a senior civil servant. And the, uh, the report was all based about facts. It wasn't based on her interpretation of what she had heard had gone on. It was a fact that Boris Johnson attended parties in Downing Street. It was a fact that he had had cake and others were drinking. And it was a fact that he had introduced these laws that meant he was breaking his own law. Anyway, Sue Gray had gone from a very little known arbiter of conduct in government to a household name when the report was broken. And I'm afraid now this seems like well, at the very least, very poor timing about her appointment to Labour Party. Um, others are saying this is a sign that she was always a Labour supporter and that it just smells. It smells of a stitch-up. It smells that she deliberately steered the report into trying to get rid of the Prime Minister, something which, uh, of course, she would deny and the civil service would deny. Um, but plenty of Conservatives and supporters of Boris Johnson say that the report, therefore, should be discounted. 
Unfortunately, Gavin, but I think your point of like, you know, it, it, the timing just doesn't bode well, you know, from a senior civil servant to now being leader of the opposition. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, the timing just doesn't, um, it's just not right. But from um, politics to food, grow your own food. So we see the, the demand for vegetable seeds has rocketed as supermarkets continue to limit sales um, of some fresh produce, produce. We know a few weeks ago it was tomatoes, Gavin. What's the situation like now and how are we seeing grow your own? Is it growing? It certainly seems to be. So, yes, we've been reporting on the last couple of weeks, haven't we, Crystal, about how tomatoes, cucumbers and peppers or, uh, peppers or capsicums have all been in short supply. Um, and that is because of recent bad weather in Spain and North Africa. And since our departure from the EU in Brexit, we've become more reliant for our winter fruits and foods from North Africa and other countries, including, of course, uh, wonderful uh, apples and other uh, veg from South Africa. But these are said to be very complex supply chains, and um, when something goes wrong, like uh, the bad weather they've had in North Africa, all of a sudden we don't have the normal supply of veg that we normally have. Now, initially they said this uh, shortage would last three or four weeks, then some UK-based growers who would normally grow tomatoes, cucumbers under glass are saying, well, we can't afford to heat the uh, greenhouses because uh, heating has become so expensive, so they haven't grown much. So it has led to a wider debate about food supply. Um, uh, But uh, it does look like some are deciding to take matters into their own hands. A seed company called Mr. Fothergill's, very, very popular, said online sales had jumped by 50% last month, as you would expect, tomatoes, cucumbers, potatoes, very, very popular. Um, And the Royal Horticultural Society said their seeds, so they are, uh, you know, they have the the main garden at Wisley to uh, show how to do a garden and other gardens around the UK. They sell seeds in their shop and they said seed sales had risen by 20% in the last month. So very interesting that some people deciding yeah, yeah, you know, money's a bit tight anyway because of the cost of living crisis. We may not be able to get the food that we want when we want it, so I'm going to go and grow my own, and I commend them for that. So, Gavin, have you started to grow your own? Oh, Crystal, now you've, you've opened up a can of worms. I used to grow a lot of vegetables in the old house we were in. But we moved uh, uh, just over a decade ago to a bigger house with a much bigger garden. And uh, I'm afraid I spent all my time doing the lawns, doing the flower beds. And if anyone who has grown vegetables is listening there, vegetables are very labor intensive. And so I just decided, Crystal, it was a little bit too much work. That sounds very late. <laughs> no, don't worry, Gavin. I know. I mean, you know, there's never, I'm telling you now, there's never going to be a way that I'm going to grow my own, you know, journalism <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Come on, Gavin. You know, we know what we can do. Um, but from gardening and growing your own food to a survey from a London-based estate agent that claims that the world's richest people lost a combined Okay, I can't say this, Gavin. $10 trillion. I I just can't even imagine last year as they suffered a triple shock energy, economic, and geopolitical. I mean, that's a lot of money, Gavin. Isn't it just? And these are so-called ultra-high net worth individuals, UHNWIs. And basically, they are mega rich. And we are talking of 218,000 
people. I suppose around the world that would be, yeah, I suppose so. Um, and uh, this all looks at how much uh, money they have lost in that uh, period of decline. And indeed, it is the biggest annual decline in the fortunes of the super-rich since the annual study was first published back in 2010. Uh, Knight Frank, who are based here in London, the head of research there, said this has been a, a, a historic shock. The Ukraine crisis fueled the European energy crunch. It supercharged surging inflation. And as a result, that saw one of the sharpest upward movements in global interest rates. And that led to what has actually been termed permacrisis, a, a new word in the Collins English Dictionary. Uh, indeed, the report found that just four in ten of the UHNWIs, these very wealthy people, uh, four in ten had actually increased the size of their fortune. Now, if you're wondering what a UHNWI, the ultra high net worth individual, actually has, well, they're classed as people with a net worth of 30 million US dollars. Doing a quick calculation, we're looking, therefore, at about 224 million pounds, and that's about 480, 480 million South African rand. That's if my maths is right. I've, there are so many zeros. <laughs> it's Sunday morning, these, Gavin. I don't think I've had enough coffee. Million, trillion. Yeah, yeah, million, trillion or billion. You can't. Anyway, uh, Europeans <sighs> suffer the biggest falls in the net worth with an average decline of 17%. Oceania down 11%, America's 10%, Africa and Asia. Uh, actually, the smaller declines, with Africa down just 5%. Um, and it is, how does all this manifest itself? Well, uh, it's interesting because despite the drop in wealth, uh, there actually has been still a number of homes changing hands of massive value. So in London and New York, 43 homes changed hands that were valued at more than $25 million. U.S. dollars, uh, and that's, uh, you know, in both cities. So it's a massive, massive uh, uh, people still buying homes. And suffice to say, there will be those thinking, oh, those poor people, and there will be others thinking, do I care? Wow, Gavin, that's that's a lot of money to think about, but I, I'm not going to think about that yeah. right now. Um, you know, I just haven't had enough coffee yet. <laughs> but just lastly, Gavin, tell us about this new research that's revealing for the first time Roman gladiator fights yes actually took place in britain yes yes so uh, we've all seen of course gladiator probably for those of a certain age you might remember spartacus <laughs> kirk douglas the late great kirk douglas uh now uh, of course all these films have been set in rome or north africa and i recently was on holiday in tunisia and north africa has wonderful old roman uh, uh gladiator uh, um, coliseums you know where Thousands of people turned up to watch these bouts. Now, the Romans did invade and successfully took over much of Britain in the 2nd uh, century AD. Um, but there had never been, although there were gathering areas and Roman ruins showing that there were sort of theater areas, there was never any suggestion in those theaters uh, that there were gladiatorial combats. But new evidence actually shows there probably was. And that new evidence has been discovered within a spectacular vase. And this vase has been decorated with the depiction of a gladiatorial combat. It was unearthed from a Roman grave in Colchester in southeast England uh, in 1853. But new tests showed that the Colchester vase was made of local clay 
at around 160 to 200 AD, and that the inscription is featuring the names of two featured gladiators. And so rather than assuming uh, that uh, this was because, well, it might have been, you know, made in Rome, it wasn't made in Rome. And indeed, the featured gladiators' names were cut into the clay before firing rather than afterwards. And therefore, a little bit of detective work, means that, yeah, it's sort of like sports memorabilia. It could have been commissioned by a gladiator trainer or an owner, but it was therefore made and fired and those gladiators were remembered in the UK. And it's the only evidence of a Roman arena gladiator combat actually being staged in Britain. No written descriptions, and the vases are such high quality that, uh, quite frankly, it was actually thought, there's no way this could have come from Britain, because our work at that time on these works of art was not as good. But that analysis showing that it was uh, glazed, made here, glazed here, um, suggests that that theory is completely debunked. So they're having to think all again about how the Romans operated here in the UK. And although we don't have the Roman ruins that you see in North Africa and, of course, Italy, well, we do have some, and this has thrown a new light onto what they might have been used for. Excellent. Thank you for on that Roman gladiator note.